Welcome to a special episode of AU Manufacturing Conversations with Brent Belinsky, one which we're running as part of our new Reinventors series, sponsored by business solutions provider Fusion 5. Be sure to check out Fusion 5's free ebook, Manufacturing the New Reinventors, in the show notes. Jared, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Good to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. We've never spoken before, Jared. So tell me a bit about yourself, please. What's your career path look like and what do you do currently? So I'm an accountant by trade. I started my career in accounting and finance roles for about 10 years. I became a, a chartered accountant and developed you know, towards the back end of that time a really strong interest in business systems and gradually began doing more and more work regarding setting up initially accounting systems, but then also operational systems for various businesses. And as I started doing more and more of that, I had a moment where I realized this is what I want to do. I want to work on the most challenging business system requirements and I want to work on the most difficult businesses to operate, which in my view, is by far and away manufacturing businesses are the hardest types of business to run. And so I moved into industry to work predominantly on business systems, initially with an accounting spin. So I was a systems accountant a lot of the time. And, you know, initially it involved predominantly setting up the financial portions of these ERP systems. But once all those areas were working well, started to focus more heavily on the operational sides of the business. And so working with the warehouse to set up the warehouse management system and working with supply chain to set up the the MRP system and working with production to set up the manufacturing execution system, et cetera, et cetera. And as I had more and more exposure to the operation side of the business from a system standpoint, I eventually transitioned into a pure operational role. And my most recent role was as the head of business operations at Tritium, where some of my large responsibilities where I was responsible for the establishment of a new factory offshore, where you consolidated several warehouse operations. I ran all of the global stock takes and, and did a lot of operational projects that didn't involve systems at all. So that's a little bit of a, a background about me. And now I'm here with Fusion 5. Well, I'm sure listeners' ears would have pricked up when they heard you say Tritium. Do you want to say anything about that last role? That's quite a sexy Australian company making quite a globally relevant thing and a massive success story, I guess. And we need, I would argue, many more Tritiums. Do you have any reflections on that time if you want to share them? Sure. Look, it was a a great time. There's nothing more exciting than working for a business that is growing at that kind of rate. I think people underestimate how difficult it is to set up the business systems and processes to run a business of that scale, even if it is not evolving and changing. But when you have such a complex business that is also growing extremely rapidly in terms of the products it's producing, where it's producing them, and just the turnover and volume of production. It's an extremely challenging thing to do. And so I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity because there's no better way to become skilled and and learn your craft than in an environment like that. And it was a, a wonderful journey and certainly a success story for the Australian manufacturing industry. Tell me about your current role at Fusion 5, please. What stands out if you have a sort of a day in the life you'd like to talk about? Whatever the case, just take it from there, please. A solution architect at Fusion 5. 
And so basically any new prospective customer that's considering NetSuite as a potential ERP system, my job is to learn their business very thoroughly and I understand NetSuite very thoroughly. And essentially I'm designing how we would implement the NetSuite system to suit their business such that we can quote it up and have a, a good quality installation. There's a huge degree of quality involved, a huge range of possible outcomes when implementing ERP solutions. One implementation does not equal another, and the difference between a well-designed, high-quality implementation and an off-the-shelf basic implementation can be night and day for a difference. So my job is making sure that the system is designed very well and uh, fits the customer's business perfectly. Tell me if you're able to about some of your manufacturing clients. What are they telling you about doing business at the moment? Are there any major concerns, expectations, anything that stands out from the conversations you've had? Please share it with us if you can. Sure. Look, what I'm hearing often is the need for agility. So what am I making? How am I making it? Where am I making it? Am I building to order or building to stock? What's my supply chain strategy? What is my warehouse strategy? You know, all of those questions. The senior leadership team, they want to see opportunities in the market and they want to see threats in the market. And they want to be able to act upon those and pivot, but they want to be able to do it yesterday. And so the concern that they have is that my business systems and processes are too rigid and robust, and they won't be able to support those changes in strategies quickly enough to take advantage of those opportunities or avoid those threats. And so the the key requirement I'm hearing from many of my customers is agility, agility, agility. I need to be able to change quickly when I need to. So we're speaking ahead of a webinar that Fusion 5 and AU Manufacturing are doing together, and that webinar is on manufacturers that have reinvented themselves. What are some of the more dramatic pivots you've seen among your client base in recent years? Since you asked earlier, I'll give you a a Tritium example. I was the project lead in setting up our new factory in Tennessee in, in the USA. And so the Biden administration, they announced the NEVI program, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program. And the requirement in a nutshell was that the company had to assemble in the USA and most of the parts had to be purchased locally. And if any business were to do that, they were able to access some substantial incentives through that program. And there were no other local manufacturers that existed at the time. And so there was a a need to very quickly set up the factory and the supply chain to support that factory with all new suppliers that are are local. And uh, six months after signing the, the lease for our building, the first charger rolled off the production line. So we were able to very quickly pivot our point of production and our supply chain strategy to take advantage of that opportunity. No small thing, I'm sure. Tennessee is a pretty decent sort of industrial place. I know of one company, Australian company, that moved there recently because of the ecosystem around them and because of some of the incentives they were to get. And that's quite another story. But I'm sure regardless of whatever talent was available, it's no easy thing to completely, from scratch, create a supply chain local to yourself to make something as sophisticated as a high-speed charger for EVs. Any war stories to do with customers that have moved to seize new opportunities of one kind or another, whether they're moving from one sector to another or geographically or 
whatever the case may be. Sure. Not just seizing opportunities, but also avoiding threats and reacting to external situations. There's many examples. One of my clients just recently, they've realized their focus, what they wanted to do was they wanted to focus on engineering and design. That's what they were good at. But they were spending 95% of their lives um, running a complex manufacturing operation. And so they completely changed their sourcing and manufacturing strategy to change their bill of materials from 650 unique SKUs that they were managing to eight SKUs that they were managing. They outsourced the vast majority of the production, and now they're able to spend 95% of their time doing the things that they're good at where they're adding value in the design and engineering portion of production. Many others, a lot of the change that I'm seeing is in the supply chain space since the the COVID and the semiconductor shortages. So, you know, we're hearing all the time people changing from the the just-in-time to the just-in-case inventory management strategies where we're seeing a lot of companies want to localize the purchase of their raw materials to shorten the lead time and reduce that risk. We're seeing a lot of companies go from single sourcing to dual sourcing or even having three or four suppliers for commodities to to reduce that risk. We're also seeing clients who want to delve further into the supply chain. So they're procuring the parts that their suppliers need and so that their suppliers are able to shorten their lead times. And so a lot of those pivots are happening in the supply chain space. It's not quite as sexy as starting up a new factory in a different country, but it's still very complicated and very critical to be able to do those kind of things. We'd like to take another moment now to acknowledge our sponsor for this episode, Fusion 5. Be sure to check out Fusion 5's free ebook, Manufacturing the New Reinventors, in the show notes. What are some things that manufacturers should be considering in terms of reinventing themselves to stay relevant? Should they be keeping an eye on any technological or market or other trends that are worth acting on at the moment? I have an obvious bias here. The system is everything. Whether it's a dramatic change or whether it's just gradual maturity and growth, the business system underpins your entire operation. And so when you consider both the type of system and how we're using that system, now if you're on an entry-level accounting system or you're using a patchwork of different unintegrated systems to run your opportunities, then if that opportunity comes along to be able to scale or, or do something different, it's just very difficult to run a, a larger and more complex operation without mature business systems and processes to underpin those operations. And it takes time to implement and to mature a sophisticated system it can take years. Sure, the, the implementation may take less than 12 months, that's no problem. But to really get to a level of professionalism and maturity in your business systems, they, they need to continue to mature and evolve over time. The modules build on other modules and the processes build on other processes. And it can take several years to really be at a class A ERP, MRP system where you're you're really running at a high level of professionalism. And so it's too late to say, okay, we're going to go to a big ERP when the opportunity comes. You need those foundations to be in place in order to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Within the system itself, you also have to consider how you're using your ERP system. You really want to be sticking as much as possible to using best practice and standard functionality. Configuring your ERP is fine, but when you start making significant customizations to your ERP system, you really run the risk of making that 
portion of the business very rigid and that customization will be nowhere near as flexible to change as as using standard functionality and so if you're using things as out of the box as possible that's a good way to be able to ensure you can pivot very quickly and so this is a standard closing question for the series and i'd love to get your answer What's one issue within manufacturing that isn't getting the attention it deserves currently from media, from the public or policymakers or anyone else? What are your thoughts? Um, I think people are, are fairly aware of most things. I don't see any big, big unknown issues. But what might not be quite as well understood is how much harder the impacts of both COVID and semiconductor shortages and, and other global manufacturing problems, how much harder it hits Australian manufacturers compared to our overseas competitors. So, for example, if, if you need to bring on a, a new supplier or several new suppliers to de-risk your supply chain, like we were talking about earlier, and your process for onboarding those suppliers for just a single in-house design component, you're going to have design iterations, you're going to have PPAP, you're going to have first article testing, and you're going to have an iterative process on onboarding that supplier. When that supplier is just down the road, that process is very easy. But for a lot of the components that, that we purchase in Australia, the local suppliers aren't available and you're dealing with an offshore company and you've got that tyranny of distance that you have to deal with. Every time they iterate on the product, they have to send it to us and we have to inspect it and send it back and then they have to build another one. And it's just a, a much harder thing to do when you're dealing with distance. The same is true for the effect on shipping times when COVID hit, when you're both importing your raw materials and exporting your finished products to external markets the effect on the overall lead time is much more difficult for us to deal with here a long way away from the rest of the world than it is for our overseas competitors. So I think what I would say overall is that whilst things have stabilised, generally speaking, I think it would be helpful for policymakers to understand that when there are global issues affecting global manufacturing, that Australian businesses are going to be harder hit than our international competitors. And as a result, we're going to need more assistance. You don't just want to copy like for like what other countries are doing. You want a greater level of assistance to deal with a greater level of impairment. And similarly, if, if they can focus any, any support or initiatives, particularly in that importing and exporting space to do with duties and speeds and lead times, I think that would go a long way to help us just having a, a level playing field when it comes to dealing with our international competitors. Well, Jared, it's been very nice talking to you. Thank you for taking the time and good to have you on AU Manufacturing Conversations.